With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Has it been a while since you flipped that thermostat from heat to cool? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services before you do for an $88 AC start and check to make sure your AC is in tip-top shape. Griffith specializes in carrier, but services all brands. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today. Your local carrier expert. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. Two days only, this Friday and Saturday. Earn a 25-cent Hy-Vee Fuel Saver discount for every $50 you spend. The more you spend, the more you save. Spend $100, get 50 cents off per gallon of gas. $150, get you 75 cents off per gallon. And spend $200 and save a dollar per gallon of gas. Get a 25-cent fuel saver for every $50 you spend, this Friday and Saturday. Only at Hy-Vee. Hey, jingity jing, it's Dominic the donkey, jingity jing, the Italian Christmas donkey. It's Monday night and we recorded early, so we're still top of the league. Santa's coming to empty the contents of his bulging festive sack all over the gaff. So while he's resting up, we've nicked the sleigh and hitched it to our Italian Christmas donkey. Onward, Dominic, it's the day trippers. everyone in the studio, which could mean unseemly fisticuffs or pleasant banter, depending on how hungover some of this lot are. I'm looking at you, Casey. We're joined by the Irish Banksy, a man of mythical Twitter proportions, a denizen of Ballyman, where it all started, the creator of various hodgy pick masterpieces, the originator of Mighty Red, and author of a spectacularly scathing biography on star LFC left-back Paul Koncheski, is, of course, Paul Brennan, a.k.a. Brenzy AZ. We also have a special guest interview in this Christmas edition, as earlier in the week I caught up with Guillaume Balagay when he was in town. As usual, we review the win over Cardiff, preview the next game against City, give a nod to Maureen and his band of expensively assembled all sorts, and round up with your Yuletide listeners' questions. Uh, Liverpool feature with a focus on some lamentable netminders. This week we focus on left-backs, and I believe Andy's going to get us started. Andy? Yeah, well, uh, just to be a little bit different as usual... Uh, I decided to go with, you know, not your gutter players like, you know, the Koncheskis or whatever. The, you know, the intangible, you know, the not the worst of the worst, but I'm going to kind of go with the best worst team, if that makes any sense. No, it really doesn't, man. Could you go <laughs> okay. there again? Just, just clarify So let, let's just say, you know, uh, players that maybe were bought by Julia, Rafa, and mainly, you know, uh, as kind of missing pieces and jigsaws, or, you know, they're built up either by ourselves, the media, you know. 
uh, and what we kind of what we we thought we were buying. Uh, so, and we'll just see at the end what kind of a team it looks like. Ah, I see. So you're look you're looking at disappointing lads who possibly yeah, were decent. Yeah. So just up. just to kind of make it a little bit more interesting, and uh, this this is a brilliant topic. I mean, looking back at some of the players is fucking hilarious. <laughs> but I missed last week, so I'm just going to throw Kirkland in as a as a England's number one. <laughs> 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 like you know, I could have went for Antanj, not a not a war, not a worse prick that's out, uh, put the uh, short on what he did at the Hillsborough Mall. It was disgraceful. Uh, but I left back tonight. Um, cut, there's a few, you know, there's a few bleeding bad players that's played left back, like you know, Vignal uh, springs to mind. Uh, I could feel bad, including Aurelio, but you know, we thought we were getting a quality player there, you know, and he with his injuries, it's killed him. Oh, Fab Aurelio in any kind of Jimmy Ferrari, but you know, Istanbul Champions kind of League winner, yeah, right, yeah. moles over him. Uh, Julian Dix, uh, and then Koncheski is an obvious show. Uh, gonna go for and and Sua then is another disappointing player we brought in, but I'm gonna go with Ziga anyway, left back. Ziga, yeah, yeah, I mean, came in there, um, played with Milan, played at Bayern, you know, uh, comes to Liverpool and does absolutely shy. I know he had a couple of injuries as well. And then uh, and then to make the top things off we end up getting done a couple of years later for an illegal approach for the player. Yeah. So I mean he's just a <laughs> you know someone you want to forget so Ziga left full. Christian Ziga, lovely start. Phil Casey. Yeah, one of these ones that you can just pick endless numbers of names <laughs> we've been brilliant at choosing a left back over the years and, and uh, <laughs> we're using Flanagan who's a right back at left back at this stage um, Ali Sissoko has to be very close to the top of this list brought in alone and uh, can't, yeah. get, can't get in ahead of the fellow who was like about the 15th choice right back at the start of the season um, Konchesky is so hard to not pick it's he was he's the epitome of Hodgson <laughs> If you could wrap Hodgson in a football or Koncheski is everything that is. And then there was the mother and then oh but Julian Dix that was another one. I remember Julian Dix signing for Liverpool. I remember the hype that was going around at the time. I remember like because obviously there was no Twitter and there was no internet back then in, in the dark days. And um it, he was fucking woeful. We came we came in with the big hard man tag. As it turned out, he had no cartilage left in his knees, and there's still question marks as to as to how he passed the fitness test to sign for the club in the first place. Ziga, yeah, the face had it all. It had more spots and lunar craters than the fucking <laughs> moon. But to boy Jesus, I wanted to punch. Look, I wouldn't mind, Andy. I'll say it as well. He had such a good season with Middlesbrough before he actually signed for us, because we got done for tapping him up. Was it? Yeah, he was like he was a player. He came to us and he lost all his ability. Um, but no, um, the, the list for left backs is. What? Stanton scored first time around. Stanton scored first time around. You, you could go on for days. Yeah. Traore. I'm 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 gonna go. I I I'm gonna go with Julian Dix because <laughs> I can't pick any player that was uh, that ever existed in, in the Hodgson area because I've wiped the Hodgson area from my mind. So I'm going with Julian Dix because I can't wipe the soonest fucking area of, of management from my mind. So Dix it is, but there's no cartilage in his knees. Julian Dix, Paul Brennan, your shout. 
Well, I'm not going to be dicking about here. It's Paul Kincheski. <laughs> For the exact opposite reason. Because <laughs> I can't fucking wipe that rain of, of Hudson from my memory. Yeah, we've, we've noticed, mate. We've noticed. <laughs> the wounds are still raw. And he was just a fucking deplorable player, really. Like, And it, it's kind of scabby because he seems like a nice guy. Like... The way he kind of handled it, you know that you know that stuff with his mouth. Like he never yeah, said yeah, anything. Yeah. He could have had a pop at Liverpool yeah, fans. Yeah, he could have yeah. said it, and even even when he's interviewed after the fact, like there's there's just nothing. He's just kind of moved on. Yeah, just we kind of haven't really. <laughs> well, I haven't anyway. So yeah, he just could, like there was nothing to his game at all. It was, so, like Hudson just put him in the fucking team because he wasn't going to do that. Like, you know, well, he wasn't going to lose the ball trying to dribble forward. He'd lose it because he'd you know have a shit clearance, and that was all right by Hudson. Like like Hudson would rather can see ten goals from his left back being. Shit than one from his left back kind of fucking you know trying to pass the ball out or anything so yeah it's Koncheski for me the, the, I, I would say on Koncheski as well the worst bit is that we signed Koncheski as the number two choice to Luke Young oh for fuck's sake yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gave away, gave away the, like Fulham have Kaka Niklic now he, he plays every week for them like and we gave them him and Cash lead of Hender for a fucking Paul Koncheski like so yeah, for me, it's going to be Paul Kinshewski. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty definitive. <laughs> Demo. Um, I was going to go with Julian Dix this week. Uh, I thought Phil would have went with Kinshewski, but he's at that fucking Robin Dix on me. <laughs> 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 but I'm going to go back. Julian Dix, when he signed, it was a fucking disaster from day one. He was overweight. He couldn't run, couldn't play. Phil said he had no cartilage in his knees. And then Sionis comes out with an absolute lunatic of a statement saying... It was all time 11 that he's managed. Dix will be in there all day long. <laughs> My God, like, how bad was that? So it's, it, it's Dix for me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Dix for everyone. Yeah, Dix for everyone. Dix for everyone in the audience. Julian Dix hat trick, actually. Because I'm, I'm, I'm putting him in a bin that has only him and Razor Ruddock in it. <laughs> Those two pair of fat bastards. I hate them. Right. <clears throat> On Saturday, we saw Luis Suarez tear a highly motivated team apart as his goals pushed Redman back to the top of that perch that they once dominated. Now, let's begin our review of Liverpool versus Cardiff by focusing on that guy, asking the question on the lips of so many people, which is just how good is Luis Suarez? Where does he stand in the pantheon of LFC greats? Uh, this conversation topic has been floating around amongst most people, I think, in, in, in the week. Well, I know we've had this chat ourselves. Um, would anyone like to, uh, Phil, I know you've gone and gotten big on this in terms of where you would rate him um, um, from a personal conversation I had with you. Where do you think he, he rates? And is it a little bit much maybe to be jumping him up to the top of the list on the basis of two seasons? For me, anyway, and I've said it since we started this podcast, um, I've said it before, Luis Suarez is the most exciting player I've witnessed in a Liverpool short since John Barnes. He does things that you shouldn't be able to do on a football pitch. He attacks areas of the pitch which doesn't make any sense, yet makes perfectly logical sense when he does it because something seems to happen from it. He's mad in the head, as we all know, but he's now sort of becoming a, a calmer, mad version in, in, in terms of that. He, he's taken all his frustration out and scoring goals, which I, I willingly condone. Um, yeah, where does he stand? He's top three for me anyway. I know he's only here two seasons, but I've never seen a player in my time come to Liverpool 
from like make the sign and may have that such a big of an impact to the point where when he wears the captain's armband as he did at the weekend he was the, you could see he was the, the leader of the team and everybody was ha- was comfortable to look to look at him as the leader of the team and this is less than 6 months since he went to the guardian and said he wanted to leave the club he's a paradox wrapped in enigma to to to, to quote a cliche but by jesus he's just He's just wonderful. He, he he makes me smile every time I see him play. And um, as I said, he be in the top three. The top three of my well, he's in the top three favorite players of all time. And he, I'd say for me, he's definitely one or two at, at this moment in time in terms of what I've seen. You might as well clarify at this stage. You've mentioned that top three about eighteen times in that two minutes. Who's, who's the other two? Barnsley is one. Um, and then, if you're going for it, who I've witnessed on a football pitch and in full glory. Macca would be in there and I know people don't agree with me but I, when I watched him play for Liverpool in the 90s he was everything in that team um, and then then if you were to go out of all time from what I've seen in terms of videos then obviously Kenny is in terms of what he achieved with the club and what he did with the actual club you'd have him in there in, instead of Macca so I, I'm just I'm just telling you that's my point of view uh, Paul as someone on the, the younger end of things here in the room um, where would you rate Suarez amongst the players that you've seen perform for Liverpool? Um, well I'd definitely say he's the best maybe Maybe Gerard is, comes into it, but uh, Suarez is just the, his output this season. Like the the productivity is up there with Messi and Ronaldo, mm. really at the moment. So even even all time, I put him in the top three forwards anyway. Well, um, uh, that, that's that's actually very interesting there, and that's like, that's the conversation that everybody's doing to death. That Messi Ronaldo, uh, Ronaldo yeah. thing, that conversation, whether or not, as Brendan would say, he comes into that conversation. Do does he in current form well, he, he surely has, does yeah, yeah. he has to yeah. this season because like, yeah. he's really up there like, he, you know, last season he scored a lot of goals but he missed a lot of chances as well whereas this season like once he gets through on goal mm. you, see, you sort of know the outcome it's, it's, it's that thing of multiple goals per match which yeah. is which kind of separates him and uh, yeah. and them out from everybody else who are in the top bracket like, all, all the stats on Twitter <coughs> you see that he's scored more goals than all these teams like, I think one or two people yeah. like, yeah. one or two people <laughs> may have mentioned it like, yeah. but uh, yeah, 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 that, that's it but yeah, that's so. I, I definitely put him in in the top three ability wise. Anyway, that we've had probably the the best ability wise. Obviously, the the trophies comes into it for some people, yeah. like Kenny and Rush. Kind of, they they'd wipe the floor with his record trophy wise, but they didn't come in. You know, at the back end of Roy Hodgson's reign. So, uh, so there it goes again. <laughs> <laughs> Still sorry, yeah. but uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think. At the moment, he's probably the best player in the world on form. So, like, I definitely think he's up there with Messi and Ronaldo if he keeps it up. Which means, which means he has to be up there in the yeah. very top of, of Liverpool. Uh, Andy and Damo, quickly, Andy, yourself, uh, what do you think? Yeah, just for me, like, I mean, it's, I think it's a massive show to say that he's the best player to have ever played for Liverpool. But Jesus, he is like, and, and people, if they're honest with themselves, I mean, people just don't want to say he's better than Kenny or he's better than Jared because of respect for them players. But ability-wise, and what that fella's doing, he's scoring cracker after cracker of goals. He's not scoring top ends. It's just, it's unbelievable. And if you look at all the greats that played for Liverpool, you'll single out seasons. And I don't think any great Liverpool players had seasons like. Especially this season, like Suarez, so uh, he's he's the best player that's ever played for the for the club ability wise, and he's just short of maybe some important goals and finals or getting into the Champions League and doing big things uh, about really going down as a. I mean, I didn't put him in my all time eleven simply because he's not there long enough and he's not, you know, he's not done amazing things, you know, that's that's winning and stuff. But yeah, you know, what he, his ability, absolutely.
best player he's ever, ever played for the club. Jesus, that is a massive, massive yeah. show. And I know myself, having watched Kenny, that no one's ever going to surpass him. I, I think, and I think it was to Phil, I was saying, maybe it's another couple of years of success, sustained success and sustained yeah. performance. But I do get the point you're making right now. There's very little as, as impressive. Well, let's uh, start planting the feet right back on the deck again now with uh, something at the far end of the spectrum. Uh, looking at some, th- some things that weren't so wonderful from, from uh, the, the weekend's match. Uh, we're just going to start off with a two-word prompt, and that's Glenn Johnson. Um, would anyone like to get the ball rolling with this discussion um, after I've said that the kid looked like he was, I don't know, maybe uh, on about 20% power for the whole match. He looked like he was almost drugged. I, I couldn't understand what has happened to him the last two games. Anyone got any strong ideas about about why that might be or what's going on with that chap? we seen a tweet the other day and it was actually made me laugh. It was said, Glenn Johnson looks like a player who's been asked to take a pay cut. And, yeah. and that's, it was, he, does, he looks like he can't be arsed really. Like, everything he doesn't close the man. He does so is, is it just coming down to the fact that there is no competition. If if Glenn Johnson's fit, Glenn Johnson will play. Well, we said that last week, yeah. uh, and it seems to be that way. Um, and the annoying thing for me was when they made the substitution. I said, "Great, we had Kelly on it right back. Get mm. Flanagan over." So fucking Flanagan off! Like, yeah. what was that all about? I, like, I think I think if, the whole uh, game. about 14th minute of the game, Flanagan takes a knock <coughs> in a tackle, and he limps a bit afterwards. And I'm wondering if it might have been a dead leg, and they wanted to save him for 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 the City match. So that was my. It was only when I want to look back at the game in terms of where it was yeah, that I yeah, thought that may yeah. have been the logic yeah. in it because they took him at 60 minutes yeah. to try to get more rest into it before the actual City match because there's no way they can drop Flanagan yeah. Flanagan is putting him to shame at the moment absolutely putting him to shame he's 10 times the defender at the moment like Johnson hasn't had a good game since the Fulham game and let's be honest that was an easy an easy game for Johnson you know we played to his strengths and lots of football but even since then like he, he's not even out to play football Never mind that the defender. We know he's, you know, he's a poor defender. But yeah, but that was the thing. Even the the supposed strengths of his going forward, bombing forward, being comfortable on the ball. I mean, he just wasn't that. The distribution was poor. The the the, the involvement in link up play didn't exist. Paul Brown, any ideas yourself on where what's what's going on with Glenn Johnson? Well, it could be uh, complacency. Like you know, he does. He has no real kind of. No motivation to play out of his skin because he's not going to get taken off as as the substitution showed. Like, like he's he's a player who's able to go, you know, kind of outside a fullback or inside and shoot. And he's doing neither. He's kind of he's putting crosses into their shins and he's losing the ball. I can we we nearly lost the goal on the counter attack. I think it was noon nearly scored because uh, Johnson just did it on the ball too long. Mm. He did he, like he just doesn't look arsed really. Like, yeah, like the point that's been made. Well, we spoke last week about um, how he never seems to cut out the cross. We also spoke last week about how the guy. You, when was the last time you saw him win a, a, a header uh, and, and think, "Wow, good yeah. win there." So if he's not going to be defensively dominant, he needs to give us what he gives us going forward. And when he does, that's wonderful. Yeah, but, but when it doesn't just, happen, he's, he's non-event, isn't he? And he's he's not doing it at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, like even Flanagan like kind of looks more dangerous than him. And Fl- Flanagan like he's, he's he's a real spirited player. Like he'll yeah. do what the manager asks, but he hasn't got he hasn't got a tenth of the talent that Johnson has going forward. Yeah. But he's he's chipped in with goals. Like he went got close again at the the end of the Spurs match. He looked, like he was involved in the play going forward against Cardiff. So. And to be fair to the kid, actually, I don't know, was it Phil or someone was saying last week, he does actually have a bit of talent that maybe he doesn't get credit for. I know he's he's considered to be relatively ordinary, but he does actually have a bit of talent. Yeah, he's, ability, a, you know? like, yeah he's able to like get involved in build-up play. Like It's not as if you give him the ball and it's going back to the keeper or mm. it's going into the stands or anything like that. He is able to get involved. And uh, I don't know, I'm 
not just not really sure what's happening with Johnson. Like maybe even drop him, just see if it gives him a kick up the arse. Like because mm. like, like we obviously we need him sort of like because we don't we don't really have much in the way of replacements. <laughs> we'll stay on that basically, and it, it's tied in there. It's already been mentioned. That leads us into the discussion about the substitutions and the way that they were made. We've already had mention of it there. Um, what did you think, Paul, about the substitutions that Brendan made? Uh, for me, the first one basically set us back. The second one then corrected the first one's mistake. Would that be fair, Summer? Yeah, as as some of the lads said, uh, what, like what was it about taking um, taking Flanagan off instead of Johnson, like, mm. and putting Kelly over there or at right back? So um, yeah, and then Cardiff, like we conceded that kind of that horrible goal and then Cardiff were suddenly they were all over us mm. and they, like that didn't really change until he put on the three centre-backs until he brought Agar on for Coutinho so yeah it did, it did seem to knock us a bit the substitution the first one mm. and would it be fair to say that that second one then was, was, was almost an attempt to rectify that bringing Agar on yeah, yeah it's, uh, it took the sting out of the game I think Cardiff like they had looked dangerous from from after their first goal it, like, it almost looked like there was only one team, one team that looked like they were going to score again for a while but uh, yeah, Agar bring, putting Agar on kind of stifled the game and it kind of took the momentum out of Cardiff. So, well, I know Andy's a big Agar fan. Phil, do you see Agar keeping his place for the kiss game at the weekend? And um, what are we going to do about Martin Skirtle and his busy hands? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, if we go three at the back, Agar definitely starts. And I think I think getting away from the correcting the mistake that he made in terms of you know the, the shape that he gone with, with in terms of Kelly and, and, and Johnson and bringing Agar in to try short it up I think he may have been looking at getting the three in in the positions that they may play either against Chelsea or City now I don't know which one we, we'll talk about later but you know it, it, I think he may have been looking at that to get the lads familiar with each other and playing in that, that shape again mm. um, my disappointment in, in, in terms of <laughs> does, does Agar come back in Agar took the, the the armband as soon as he came on the pitch, so there's a definite hierarchy in terms of who's there. Um, that was Suarez is doing in fairness. Like that was a real no, but like, a good if, gesture by Suarez. Like, he he was heads up straight away and looked yeah. over. And I think if uh, Suarez is playing a very kind of a modest game at the moment, like you know, every, every time he's asked about his personal achievements, he's saying the team, the team. So he sees Agar coming on, and when he was asked about captain, he said there's only one captain, Gerard. Mm. You know, so he sees him coming on, and that's that was a Suarez thing. I don't think no, but Andy, what, what, what I'm saying is that it, it's also good for Agar because. It, it allows him it, 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 he comes on and he knows that he's still in the eyes of the team that's there he's still respected and it's, yeah. it's still like it's not I've taken your spots on because you can't even get in the in the 11 at, the, at this point in time um, Martin Skertel Martin Skertel he's he's a f- he's just steady, steady. <laughs> <laughs> What's, what, what does my head in is that he does 90% of things really well at this moment in time, right? And he he's doing ten percent of stupid fucking egotry on the pitch. All like you're looking at him half the time he's wrestling them for absolutely no reason. Like the, the, I, I can understand being tight to the fella and not get, allowing him get a free run in corners and, and free kicks and the whole lot, right? But he is right on that borderline of a fella just being pulled down in the box. And I'm telling you, going up against the likes of Hazard and all that for, for Chelsea, those boys will be hitting the deck quicker than, than anything. And he, they'll be sure to show that the hand is being pulled alongside them and, and the whole lot. Like, surely somebody in the video analysis side of the club is pulling them inside and saying, look at Martin, we don't mind you getting physical and all, but, you know, we don't mind you blocking off runs and stuff like this, but the eyeballs are going to be on you now this weekend because it was pointed out numerous times 
in the coverage of the match at the weekend that you were pulling here and they're saying oh look he's getting tight and he's pulling the player and, and there's a bit of this yeah, like it's it's because it's basics, Phil. I think it's yeah. just it's stand out with Agar sometimes. It's a little uh, more more um, concentration. Yeah, and it's things that people go unnoticed with most people, but with Scarlett, like everybody can see you can't be doing what he's doing. Just molesting the 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 other team, you know. Like, and he's not looking at the ball. And we were saying it here a few weeks ago. Like this is all, this is constant with him, you know. And it's it is it is going to cost us eventually with a penalty, and. Um, I mean, if, if he's not aware where the ball is, that's that's when that's when it really comes down to somebody t- pulling him aside and saying, like, you know, what's the story? Yeah. Well, Andy, we've all we've all played a bit. I mean, you can understand if you're a little bit of a short arse going up against a big lad, you're going to pull and drag, and you're going to try and get an, uh, an advantage. But Skirl's going to be a bigger mm. heap of a, of, a, yeah. of a lad than anyone. So looking at him, you think you'd, you'd imagine? I mean, he's no. He wins headers like he wins headers when um, we we get corners and he goes up. I mean. He's not attacking balls at all. He's not worried about the ball or whatever. He's, he's like he's intimidated by the opposition. And I think the only time we've seen that cut out of his game was under Kenny and um, when Clark was there coaching as well. And uh, I think that was cut out of his game. And he was the, that was the best uh, part of his, uh, his Liverpool career. Mm. So I think like it's it's still there for him, you know, if he if he just cuts that out. Mm. At the moment, they give us the pick two. It's just Agar and and Saka all day. Yeah. You know, and I, I know Agar is not an area of presence either, but he, he certainly doesn't do these fundamental uh, crazy things, you know. Yeah. Floody, your man who's done a bit of time as a centre half yourself, where do you stand on Martin Scott? I mean, people seem to be very polarising their opinions, and some people want him in the bin, some people think this guy, like Andy says, has something about him. Um, when you stand him beside Sacco, you can see a clear difference in quality anyway, but where do you, where do you feel he fits in? Um, <clears throat> he's definitely no Daniel Agar, let's put it that way. Uh, but what he can offer is he is fairly solid in the tackle let's, let's not knock that he is fairly game it, what we've all kind of noticed is that stupid like as a centre half any corner any ball coming in you attack the ball you attack don't worry about the man too much like go win the ball first and foremost like he doesn't even look at the ball where it's coming from all he's interested in is where's my man I'm going to hold him I'm going to drag out I'm going to pull out him you can't do that like you've got to have some confidence your own ability like I'm going to win this header you know and how does an international captain, a man who's been the first team for Liverpool for so long, not have confidence? It's, it's bizarre, isn't it? it? It's it's really strange, and I'm surprised that none of the defensive coaches have picked up on it. You know, like it's, yeah. it's very easy to turn around and say, "Well, open your body half a yard, Martin, going to get half half turn on him, and come and attack it." And it, it takes any kind of wrestling match out, out of the equation then. And but he's not; he's literally on top, right on top of his man, giving himself no room to breathe. Mm. Just take his yard off and come, come and meet it and follow. Well, like with the the set piece stuff, which we probably mention again, and I'm sure we're going to mention before the end of the season repeatedly. It's basic coaching now. What you're talking about, isn't it? That, that, that's simple defensive coaching. Oh, and yeah. when you when you see, like I say, Sacco or Agar just doing those things relatively effortlessly, yeah. You, what is going on there? Is it just a deficiency in that lad's head, or what? It, 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 must, it must be because if you notice him at the other end of it, he's a real threat in the opposition box yeah, and corners. Yeah, like he, he makes sharp movements and he'll yeah. get a good run and a good jumper, and he's dominant there. He used to be a centre forward. He started off as a centre forward. Really? Yeah. This is a show. <laughs> <laughs> But when you look at it, he comes and attacks the ball with such aggression. But when you see him marking somebody in the box, like he's pulling and dragging, like, 
why isn't he kind of just saying, right, I'm going to get tight to him, mm. the ball comes in, I'm going to go, I'm going to win it, and I'm going to attack it. He mm. doesn't try to win the ball or attack it, he just tries to win the wrestling match. Mm. And that's just nuts. Yeah, so there, was, there was one cross that came in where he kind of turned around while he was pulling at Cocker, he sort of turned around 270 degrees and then ended up swinging his right boot at it. And, it, and he did, I, think, I think we got a free kick out of it somehow or something like that yeah. as Henderson was clearing it. But like it, that was just kind of like, as Floody said, open your, open your body and get your head on it. Like mm. Rather than he's pulling at Cocker and then realises, oh shit, the ball's going to drop down at kind of full height. Mm. And goes out. And the same with the goal against, the own goal he scored against West Ham, I thought. He was kind of, he was grabbing onto the West Ham forward, like whereas he could have he could have dropped back and defended the space. Uh, but instead he had to turn around and swing his boot at it mm. and he conceded an own goal, so... But both, both times he done that, he ended up with his back to the ball yeah. coming yeah. in. And that, that's, yeah. you, can't, you can't defend that way. He doesn't know where the ball's coming from. It's basics, isn't it? Um, by contrast, then, uh, Paul, you, 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 you mentioned, we mentioned him in passing. Sacco. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is a guy who looks just at home. He's physically dominant. You know, he wins his aerial battles. He's composed on the ball. I don't remember him misplacing a pass. I'm sure he did, but I don't remember it. And he seems to be able to hit the ball across the deck directly to the feet of whoever it's going to. This sounds like a simple thing. Clearly, it's not when you look at some other Egypts. So, <laughs> what is it that makes this guy just able to just adapt so quickly? There's fucking many Egypts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are. I'm not sure, because like, Skirtle and Sacco are both kind of aggressive centre-backs, but like, I, there seems to be a kind of nervous aggression about Skirtle. He's always on the borderline of you know, committing a foul, whereas Sacco, he seems to know when, he, when he's chasing someone out to the wide, when he's supposed to press them or when he should drop off. And like he's re- he's dominant in the air, and he, he seems to know what's going on around him. Whereas as we were saying, Skirtle's too busy kind of grabbing onto defenders. So, and so Sacco has the confidence of a man who knows he will fucking kill you. <laughs> Basically, yeah. where does he hide the bodies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 to echo Paul's comment, like. The amount of times you see Sacco getting on the ball in the air. It, coming back to Damon's point about attacking the ball, his thought, first and foremost thought when he's defending is not the man that he's defending against. It's that he's going to win the ball. The amount of times he comes round, David Luiz is great at this as well, he comes round the player, gets to the ball first, nicks it away or gets a clearance in before the player even realises that he's come through him. Like He's just coming around the side of him all the time. He'll get caught out at some stage. At some point during the year, he won't make contact, he'll get rolled and the player will be in behind him and he'll look like a complete spa. But like, in the mean, if he keeps doing that, for ninety four and is successful ninety five percent of the time, he's an inc- he he's doing everything that we used to laud Sammy Hoopia for in terms of his yeah. ability and even his passing ability. But I think he's there's a bit of pace in him. I, I text you at, at, at one point. We went on the counter attack and uh, anyone get this out and have a look at it. Then we broke from one of their corners. Right, the first man in the Cardiff yeah, box was Sacco, and I was like, they're going. Ah, wait. Just it was just a train, and he ran. He, he reminded me so much of Yaya or Colo at the, at the start of the season he was just like a train through the centre of the pitch he just ran in a straight line with power and pace and he was just gone and next minute the ball was out wide and he was the front man he got he got ahead of the whole lot he was looking for the ball in then he had to turn around and run back because they, they never got the cross into the box and I was like I actually think Glenn Johnson lost the ball out on the right hand side and he, and he in just, the box next week he just went, fuck this I'm off back again yeah. well, actually he did that again late in the match and he took his sweet time yeah, again yeah, yeah. he just stayed up there maybe he'll come up again yeah. fuck it just a goal in this for me you know? uh, let's just have a look at one more issue here which is uh, the form of Jordan Henderson um, 
Andy, I'm going to come to you on this because I know you're, you're you're a massive Gerrard fan, and and and, and without wanting to slant it in any way negatively, is it a coincidence that Henderson stepped up for, to, away from being functional and decent and and high energy and all that to actually showing a lot of class on the ball, maybe having the confidence to take over that role? If you look at him, he's constantly balking people. He's pointing here, there, and everywhere. He looks every bit the leader that you see. He's been at underage level. Is that fair? That it's maybe the absence of Gerrard which has allowed that. Yeah, it's like the it's like the Henderson for uh, the England under twenty ones, like taking yeah, uh, yeah. taking the game with a scruff of the neck, like Jared used to when he was yeah. uh, Henderson's age. I uh, don't know whether it's something to do with Jared not being the team, like you know we can we can you know we can say that if we want, but I don't know if it is that it's it's the way he's playing at the moment. It's just it's it's just brilliant and it's it's a credit to him. He's a revelation at the moment and he is, as you say, he's taking that responsibility that Jared had, uh, and it's it's him more than. You know, Allen coming into the midfield, that's that's has us playing so well and particularly in the last two games. And even just getting back to Sarko, I don't think uh the credit for him, how he is in the ball, how calm he is coming out of the fence with the ball and giving everyone a kind of a chance to kinda of get you know, get free. Uh, it's just it's 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 making our midfield take over. Um I'm I'm not a big fan of uh, Alan. I don't think he's near as good as people have been making him out in the last couple of games. But uh, Henderson and uh, and the productivity we're getting now, Saka on the ball, it's just unbelievable. Far more than uh, Alan, you know. Alan 40, 50 passes a game. Saka nearly 100 passes like. And I, I, I disagree with you, Andy. I think the function of the midfield since we, we changed around in terms of how, how we're playing the game has freed Henderson to go and play as well as he has in the final tour. When he's been alongside Gerard and, Gerard and Lucas part, he's basically functioned just as their legs trying to get around the pitch and he hasn't been able to go and express himself. Now having Alan alongside him who's so efficient at pressing the ball and, and winning the ball high up the pitch it just keeps us on the front foot. It's what we've talked about before in terms of the ability to press. And if you don't have Allen in there with Henderson, you don't have the same real aggressive pressing presence. Now, we saw before Gerard got injured that even with and Henderson and Allen in there alongside Gerard, they were still able to function in the same way. We were we were aggressively pressing the team at home when, when Allen was playing alongside Gerard. I think Allen is the at this moment in time, he's the he's the he's the one player that makes the rest of the midfield, be it Gerard or Lucas in the other spot alongside Henderson, makes the whole thing work together because he's he's a simple controller. He, he he's not he's not your Alonso who'll pick the ball up twenty yards out and spray it sixty yards to the foot of the winger in space. What he does is he just allows that midfield to go little triangles, get the ball through quickly, and, and you're on the front foot really quickly, and you're able to yeah. break and control and dominate at the same. Yeah, I appreciate what you're saying, and he is like he's he's. Um He's become the the donkey work midfielder. You know, he's he's covering all that ground, and although he's not the Allen that we suppose we thought we were getting, the, who's so good on the ball and who, who's gonna you know turn over hundred passes a game, he's he's doing the donkey work. I I appreciate that he really is, but I'm I'm just saying I'm just gonna get credit to the likes of Saka who's pressing very high and getting on the ball as well. You know, and it's it, it does have a lot to do with how Henderson is playing, in my opinion. But it's bloody fair enough to say that. I mean, we we've seen evidence now of. Um, Alan forming partnerships with either Lucas uh, or Jared, and both of them seem to work. Those two partnerships seem to work in different ways. And the, uh, what, what Phil's talking about there is level of mobility in the team. Is it is it clear even now to Brendan at this stage that if you have Lucas Leva and Stephen Jared in the same central key area, that you are going to miss out on mobility? Uh, without doubt, myself and Phil have spoken quite a lot about this going back a good while. Um, I, I don't think Jared being out of the team has has brought Henderson on. But anything else, he might have just said, 
kind of took on a bit more responsibility and said, I need to kind of roll up the sleeves here, we need points where and, and got on with it. But it's definitely what Phil says, you cannot play Lucas and Gerard centre the park because all the two of them do is sit. And then we get exactly what we've only seen from Henderson. He does, it, he does the legs and he's that donkey. And you know, he, he kind of he, he closes everything for them, them two boys. Mr. Dominic, <laughs> <laughs> Dominic Henderson. <laughs> In the recent games, he's been Jordan Henderson. Yeah. <laughs> when, he, when he was there before, and it was Dominic. But he, the, the one thing, if you notice when they play, if you notice Alan's starting position most of the time, it's ten yards inside the opposition half, mm-hmm. and that pushes the rest of us up. So the other two lads are pushed up. If it, if it's Lucas and Gerard. We're 10 yards inside our own half. But Alan is so far high up the field, it pushes everything else, and then the back four is pushed up behind, and it just squeezes everything up. And it, it makes us make them little triangles that we're looking for, them little overloads, little 4v2s, 3v2s. We don't want to be pinging these balls 60, 70 yards. I don't think they work for us, and they never have worked for us. That's mm. mm-hmm. so why these, uh, these shabby shouts are such nonsense, isn't it, really, in oh. fairness? I mean, I mean that's that's crazy talk. Shabby uh, was shabby. Yeah. No, but I mean, current shabby yeah. coming in here now, yeah. it, no, it, it, no. It, it, it doesn't work. No, I don't think it will work. You know. it, it, it's just like putting Gerard in beside Lucas again there, you know? Like, yeah. It's something I don't do. Just on the whole midfield and, and just the team as a unit, and I, I think it, it, it's interesting when you look at it because the team is built... We criticised it when we started this off in terms of the way we were playing and that we weren't playing to the blueprint that we were given, etc. That's around it, right? As the season has worn on and more of the sort of um, Rodgers-type players have come back into the team, the players are starting to play a different game in terms of the short, sharp passing. And you can you can move through the phases really quickly with lots of passes, but it happens really quickly. It doesn't need those long diagonal balls, which we were actually trying to play a lot at the start of the season. And for me, it's also why Raheem Sterling has been so good for us in this, pa- in, in this spell of form. Because he likes to get a ball popped into his feet, torn quickly, and either go past the man or lay it off and then look for the return ball. Now, if you, as, 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 as Floody was saying, if you're playing those triangles where you're getting a 1-2 and a 1-2 constantly going and it allows that movement to happen, he suddenly becomes the Raheem Sterling that we, we'd seen originally. That he's just so lively, he's so quick and he's sharp on the ball. Mm. And now he's got the confidence back in his game, as you could see at the weekend. And I, I know we were talking about the negatives in terms of the, the, the two players in, in, in that, that seem to struggle in terms of what's going on, and even Skirtle is, is, isn't that really struggling. But that first half was, was fantastic to watch. It was, like, it, was, it was really, really, really good football. There was 15 minutes or so at the start, we were sort of a bit, mm-mm, and you're wondering, was, was it a bit down-tempo from the elation of, of, of the way we played against Spurs? But then we kicked in, and well, Jesus, when we kicked up that gear, like... The goal, the, the opening goal, the, the little chip pass back into Suarez from Henderson is, is a gloriously placed ball. And like yeah. That type of ball, I, I'd say now, if, if that was Gerard who delivered it, we'd be, we'd be creaming ourselves over how amazing that actual ball was back to, back to, back to Suarez. And, and Henderson deserves the praise. His back heel as well, the awareness to see Suarez from the corner of his eye to lay it back in for that third goal that was there. And it's, just, it's, it's, it's just lovely to see that really attractive, fast-flowing, passing-based football. Yeah, it brings you back to the first uh, game of the season. Uh, you had that first half where everything was short and sharp and so slick looking, and like you're looking at the team thinking, "Holy shit, we're good." Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. like you know, this is like I can't, I couldn't imagine watching Liverpool and playing like that, especially over the last few years. And then you had to dip in the second half, but the yeah. game, you know. We won the games. But in fairness, like, I, I don't call that a dip in the second half. Cardiff aren't a bad side. They're, they're oh. not that bad of a side. Like, they're, they're really well structured and set up. Yeah. And as, as Phil said, it, first 15, 20 minutes of the game, we kind of struggled a little bit. We were on top, but we 
went really turned them apart or anything like that. Mm. That's just because they were structured well. Yeah. You know, but it was it was by continuing that game that we we kept kept moving the ball, kept the, the triangles, kept moving the ball to three v tails. Mm. We eventually opened them up. They, they, they can't defend like that the whole game. So they've just mm. been patient. I, I'll offer an, an alternate theory on, on the second half in terms of the, the perceived drop off that we had because it was really a ten minute spell that they scored in and they had another free header that Kelly lost his marker on the corner from that could have been. 3-2 at that stage but for me I, I thought it was planned I actually genuinely thought that was planned I thought we played a little bit deeper in the second half I thought there was a bit of energy conservation going on because City is such a big match around the corner mm, yeah, and he, di- he didn't have the range of midfielder say on the bench to actually take out say Lucas and, and Henderson without actually really having to go and change the shape of the team yeah. Were you calm in the aftermath of that concession of the goal? I, 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 thought, no. I thought we were jumpy as fuck I Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, I, I had the fear going on from being on my fucking tour day of drinking at that stage so it was, <laughs> anything was jumping Man, even when they blew the whistle at the start of the game, I was jumping. I didn't know no. that there was ghosts and everything. Phil, uh, I, I can't say the same. I was breaking it now, and uh, I don't even think that the team were calm at all. Like they, they did look noticeably shaken. Yeah, I, I, I thought that myself. Yeah. I, I tried to be relatively upbeat, yeah. but I I, I'm, I, I, I'm working off the basis that I watched the game back again today. Yeah. So I, I watched so that. You were I watched because you knew we didn't consider yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, so I was able to watch the game in calmness. Brilliant. 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 <laughs> I still had the fear today as well. <laughs> But watching it, it, it didn't look... When you watch it the second time around and you don't have the nerves in terms of the actual results and you look at the way it's being played, you can actually start seeing the midfield then trying to reassert its control and reassert the actual possession. And the, We finished the game strongly again. Yeah, I suppose what we need to acknowledge here for listeners is that Phil Casey is a walking ad for Powerade today. He's got that much <laughs> sugar and E numbers into him. It's actually a miracle he's even standing... Right, during the week I was lucky enough to meet and spend some time with author, journalist, TV pundit and all around good guy Guillaume Balaguet as he was promoting his new biography of Lionel Messi in Dublin's Twisted Pepper. Guillaume was kind enough to agree to an exclusive interview with the Day Trippers and uh, the lads entrusted the job to yours truly, so here's how it panned out. Okay, uh, Guillaume, you're here in Dublin promoting your Messi biography, which is yet another great read. What's it like being so close to such a universally recognisable man? getting to know the player of a generation on such a personal level? It is an experience because you're entering the life of a guy, not the life of the best player in the world. There's a difference. And uh, when when that happens, you have to be very careful what you how far you go and if you're actually taking the right road and if, um, if you are directed the right way because at the end, you're not him, uh, you know his brother, but you're somebody that is analysing... Um, what made him and how he got where he got. Sure. So there's a lot of questions that you have to answer via research and via working hard and via really, you know, 20 years of work. Uh, that work allows you to get close to people. Uh, that allows, you know, by word of mouth, you, your name to be recognized. And that allows at a point when you go to what it is a really small clique, the messes, to knock the door and says, can I come in? And and when the answer is two weeks later, all right, let's do it. Uh, then, 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 of course, you've gone through the most difficult of all obstacles, okay. because there was no way I could write this. Same as with the pet book, mm. same as with a season on the brink. I would have written it if it was just from the distance or with clips from newspapers. I, I had to be inside, and it is a delicate balance that you do between. Yeah, because I will tell you a story, but uh, not so much the anecdotes, but how he reacts to things, uh, you know, how how um, he deals with having a father who's a manager, how he deals with uh, Ronaldo and that kind of thing. And 
uh, and you still have to ch- double check and and you know get close to other people around him mm. to make sure if that's true. <laughs> yeah. So so there is a lot of um, a lot of that, and you are answering as close as you can the questions. And did did you feel in any way? I suppose he's such a well-known man he's such a talented guy and even though you're a leader in your profession did you feel was there an intimidation kind of level there along the lines of what I feel today speaking to you for example <laughs> do you know no because this is your first interview that's why probably when you've, when you've done a hundred interviews you realise that the people that you're asking questions to they're just normal guys sure and they could be Ronaldo they could be Messi they could be Pep Guardiola Jose Mourinho you, you would have you know after 20 years of working you know, or 22 years of working in the profession you would have had private moments with them you would have gone for meals with them you would have known that they all have the same fears and the same uh, needs as anybody else mm. um, and in some cases even more because their life is more extreme but no no I couldn't approach these people without with intimidation or with with fear or with distance I, I just had to see them as what they are mm. and it helps for instance that I'm not a Barcelona fan sure because yeah. Uh, you know, you deal with Pep Guardiola, and, and and he was God at the time we were talking. And you deal with Messi, and you know it doesn't get any bigger. Mm. But I'm an Espanol fan, and and I see what they've done, and I see the good thing that they've done. But I also see that I don't, you know, I don't look at things with a, I don't know, uh, with the eyes of a fan, basically. Yeah, yeah. So you had that distance, and I suppose they respected that. Maybe perhaps that that, that you weren't fawning or being overly. I think what they they respect is. Uh, um, what, what, whatever I've done all my all sure, these years, course, so yeah. uh, and I think you realise in your next interviews in the future when when you've done more than a hundred that it is about communicating and it's about linking with the person you're talking to and it's about listening hmm. and it's about realising that you are only a microphone. That's all you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, then a microphone, if you look enough, it becomes a pen. Yeah. Or you write your own opinions, or you write your own story, or or, or, you, or you write the story of these big guys. And if you are very, very, very lucky and very, very, very good, then you are paid for your opinions. Uh, there's perhaps too many people that think that journalism is opinions. That's just the, the top of the of the profession. Yeah, the rest is just uh, holding a recorder and and listening and interpreting and writing. Sure, absolutely. Well. You've written a lot on, on not just Messi but also Guardiola. Is there something that connects the two men in terms of some sort of uh, some sort of characteristic or trait which separates them out? Clearly, they're both talented men, but there are a lot of talented men. I mean, it, was there something you noticed about the two of them? Some sort of drive or difference? It's a good it's a good question because you you see that in Rafa Benitez, in Jose Mourinho, in Cristiano Ronaldo, in Messi, in Pep Guardiola. And I think it's the compulsion to mm. continue uh, improving. Mm. Maybe even the feeling that they're not good enough. Uh, it coincides uh, in all the cases that they have to work really hard because because they've got not so much the doubts, although in the case of Guardiola, doubts were like, again, extreme, because he's an extreme man in many senses. But just the, the need to... Um, uh, to continue doing better and it gets to a point it really does get to a point to most of us to that that you think you've done enough and then and then that's it you're just comfortable in your position you earn enough money mm. you're fine but these guys don't count the money they've earned they just look they just judge themselves by what they did yesterday and if it was it wasn't good enough then they, they have to improve they have to get it better next time and that only the really best ones have uh, mm. and it 
both Messi and, and Pep Guardiola have it for sure. They have in, in abundance, obviously. There was actually it reminds me of something I, I was trying to speak about today in a piece I was writing. Brendan Rogers was speaking about the drive or lack of it that a lot of young professionals have when it comes to they sign their first big contract and maybe the motivation goes a little bit. Um, is it is 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 that? What the, those two guys that we speak about is that what they have in extreme that drive to keep going on like you say you're only as good as your last day no doubt uh, and uh, you know a lot of people have complained about that that society has made people weaker and society has made people wanting to get to the top uh, faster mm. uh, and of course there's no shortcuts to, to the top uh, that football is a mirror society you have that in football as well a lot of people that don't get motivated enough unless they get very well paid mm. and a lot of complaints have come from the likes of Sir Alex Ferguson, Brendan and, and people like that saying you, young kids are like that I, I, I wouldn't care about those young kids that means that they won't make it yeah. there's enough people out there to make it yeah. there's enough people out there that uh, that will just go through all the stages beat all the obstacles and make it to the top and they will be as good in terms of mentality as they have been for 100 years mm. it's just people that want to make it and you only need 25 at the end you know so yeah. I think uh, I, I understand the complaint I, and perhaps what is happening is that it is a smaller pool of people yeah. that uh, have got that hangout, that need to survive for whatever it is that took people in the past 60, 40, 50 years ago to the top. But uh, but in any case, there's enough people out there that really, really want to, 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 to be footballers. So Brendan Rodgers will have where to choose from. Sure. Something that struck me, I, I, it, was, it was in your, your, your um, Pep Guardiola book, a little story about Messi. Um, that, that really stuck with me and I, I've heard you actually recount it a couple of times as well and it was the whole thing about the where will he play and it, it was quite shocking for me because we have this opinion of Messi I don't know whether it's received the wisdom or whatever of this quiet humble kid um, but he was basically pretty put out wasn't he when he wasn't getting to play centrally which is where you know he's wonderful and um, where there was this thing with Ibra and he was getting shunted to the wing he put his foot down, really, didn't he? Well, uh, that was analysed from a coaching point of view yeah. in the Pep Guardiola book. In the Messi book, I've analysed it from his point of view. Mm. And I think if you reach a compromise from those two angles, uh, what you see is a guy who's played the same way since he was a kid, exactly the same way. And he hasn't changed, even though he's been told every single year, pass the ball, yeah. or play wide, stay wide, wait for the ball. And he wouldn't do that. He would just go for the ball and then when he had it he would just dribble to a three and, and, and you know cut inside and stuff like that that kind of um, confidence in what he does that insistence in doing what he does mm. means that uh, everybody that's on the way had to move either literally like geographically to one side or from the team Yeah, and that happened to him since he was a kid everybody that was on the way had to leave because they weren't as good as good as he was. Mm. Because the coaches felt that the other guys were not giving enough to the team. And actually, the other guys were the ones unbalancing the team. Because yeah. if you are the coach of Messi, don't you want to give him what he wants? You do, don't you? Of course. As a coach. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, that gets interpreted completely different by the people that had to move. Yeah. Uh, young kids still remember... Um, of the age of Messi now of course but when they were kids that they you know what, there was this guy that was very f physical and realised that when Messi came in he was going to be in the centre so you just have to go to another team and you got that in every, every stage Ibrahimovic um, obviously was on the way for those runs of Messi and Pep Guardiola said to Ibra would you move 
and he would have said no. Yeah, you know, put put it put it in in in, in big words. That's that's what happened. Uh, and and then the coach has to make a decision because this guy Messi is still going to be doing what he does. Yeah. Now in hindsight, we say great decision because we allow Barcelona to get even better than they were in the first year and the, and the, or the first two years and the Pep. But it means that there is victims, and of course you hear the story of the victim, and the victim will say, you know, this guy just got me out of the way. Yeah. It is it's one of the things that I found, again, fascinating in looking at it from the Messi point of view. Oh, but it's normal that coaches do that for me because I win the games for them. Yeah. So yeah. it is It is um, uh, what it takes you to the top as well, the confidence that what you're doing is exactly what has to be done. And what's the difference between a, a, a guy like that who has this just certainty about what he can bring to the team and where he needs to play, and that's just all there is to it. And on the other hand, we, we saw Cristiano Ronaldo opening uh, a museum in tribute to himself there recently. You can't imagine uh, Messi doing something similar. But yet there's clearly that level of ego. Did you encounter that in a negative way in any way when you spoke with, with the man? I think in the next few months, don't know exactly, maybe six months, maybe less, there's a museum opening in Rosario. Okay. Uh, where it's not going to be called the Leo Messi Museum, but it's going to... Um, it's going to show things from people that have been in Rosario. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, athletes and footballers that have come from Rosario, and uh, and Leo has helped. Mm. Um, I guess partly because Rosario did not show their their love for for Leo until very very recently, and of course Matias, who collects his brother, who collects everything, probably ran out of space where he was. So he was like, where do we go and put this in? It's interesting how you analyse it. Uh, Ronaldo, ego, museum, and this thing like, yeah, but Messi, if he does it, you probably justify what him doing it. Yeah. And it's all about cliches and how we portray football in a kind of uh, simple way because that's why we, what we want. You know? yeah. I've, I've got in my head that, that as, a, as football fans, uh, we stop growing at 12. So that's why... You know, we get so upset when we lose and so happy when we win. <laughs> That's really fascinating. And, uh, <laughs> and, and generally, our analysis of football, when we are fans, kids' analysis, isn't it? So this guy is terrible. Yeah. This Emo- guy has to go. Emotionally you know? immature. Um, emotionally immature. Yeah. And uh, I kind of, the first time I heard that was from Dustin Hoffman saying that uh, we really start growing when, we're, when we are 16, he said, or something like that. But then we start seeing wrinkles in our face and white hair, and then you have to become like, behave like an older man because you see that you look like an older man. But inside you're still 16. But in football, it's a bit like that. Yeah. And uh, and going back to um, to the question, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is motivated by similar things to Leo. Sure, they represent different things because when they are on the pitch, they behave differently, quite clearly. But they have so much in common, so much in common. And interestingly enough, uh, they respect themselves so much when they are in front of each other they, they recognize themselves as nemesis and, and you know we all have our nemesis and we, they make us better mm. but we want to be better than them and if we sometimes we feel we're not uh, we kind of hate them the nemesis but perhaps what it is really is that uh, we hate the fact that we're not good enough so then we try harder and there is a lot of respect for somebody that makes you better it has Absolutely, to be yeah. it has to be so Cristiano and, and Messi are going through the same stage. And do you feel, do you feel, uh, Guillaume, that uh, the question as to which of them is the superior footballer? And often, for a lot of people, it's almost a redundant question because Messi has so much love 
um, from such a wide variety of people. But you do hear people um, on the Cristiano side, and clearly they're both immense. Do you think there's a, there's a valid case for both men, or would you see it now, having seen so much mess, would you see it on one side of the way? We, we, could, we could argue which one is better. For me, for me Messi's the best player there's ever been mm-hmm. uh, and that's partly why I, I, I immerse myself into his life and, and, and trying to find out what he got in there but I take I go back to the question uh, why do we want just to choose between them two yeah. Yeah. first secondly why is there so much fascination about the Ballon d'Or all of a sudden yeah. this is a collective game and of course football is a mirror society as we were saying earlier and, and and that means that uh, we look at it from individuals now because it's all about individuals everywhere else. You know, it's about about uh, me, 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 me. Mm. So I, 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 I don't like that question. You know, I don't like who is better. Just, yeah. just enjoy them both. And and yeah, I understand that that attracts people mm. to football. Mm. The fact that you know there's two at the top. There's the Christina Navratilova, Chris Everett of of uh, of football at the moment. Um, but there's this fascinating documentary that you all have to watch. Um, it's called Unmatched and it was Christina Naratilova and Chris Everett going on a weekend both of them it's away. magnificent I saw it ESPN yeah. 30 by 30 I saw it it's fantastic oh, it's, it's a, yeah, a little clue this, somewhere in the book in the messy book that I wrote I mentioned that mm-hmm. and uh, and you should hear what they're saying it's yeah. like you made me better yeah. yeah no but I hated you no no yeah. it wasn't so much I hated you it was like but I envied you because I had so many feelings inside Chris Everett, the the, the American's girl, uh, girlfriend, you know, uh, who was the, the the call lady, if you like, and she was saying, "Martina, I saw you crying. I saw you throw the, throwing the racket down to the floor, and I wanted to do that, but I was told not to do it since mm-hmm. I was a kid by my dad, so I had to keep it all inside." And Abertillo was like, "I envied you because you kept everything inside, and yeah. you know, we always want to be somebody else, but." I, that same one day there would be that conversation between Cristiano and Messi and it would be similar it would yeah. be similar but it, is, it comes back to that point you made it, it is quite an emotionally immature thing to want to <laughs> to want to pick the best isn't it as you say just enjoy them both yeah speaking about another uh, uh, person I suppose closer to the hearts of Liverpool um, fans that you would have spent a lot of time with in the company of I was looking back over a season on the brink today uh, when I read it first it was, it was fascinating to me because I had Rafa on such a pedestal and it was lovely to see different aspects of his character coming through in that book but I think it kept coming back to this guy who's basically so driven mm-hmm. so driven and more at home on a, with a tactics board uh, on a training pitch than in front of cameras or dealing with anything else um, is that fair or I mean he's, uh, he's driven and I think he's one of the best guys at his job yeah. and, and he knows that and he gets frustrated when that doesn't get uh, recognised, not by the public, mm. but recognised by the clubs. Um, he doesn't belong to this era, I'm convinced. Uh, if he was English, if he was British, and and was a coach 20 years ago, he would have been 20 years at a club, at Liverpool perhaps, yeah. and would have got it wrong, right, wrong, right, but more right than but wrong, more, yeah. for sure. But... Right, so you know, remember when he at that point when he started? Um, I'll have to read that book again because I'm sure there'll be a little bit of clues of what's happened since then. Because remember that time he started rotating and people were going on like Tinkerman and yeah, all that, absolutely, yeah. And everybody rotates now. Uh, and when he would just try to uh, create a youth team because he wasn't allowed the, the power in the academy, and because uh, he wanted a youth 
players to come into the first team, mm. which eventually have got kind of prepared the way for some of the guys that have come into the first team now. And again, was seeing like he's spending money for nothing. Um, the, me- the the way he dealt with money, the fact that he was he almost was like zero um, money, zero uh, uh, pounds net expenditure in his time at Liverpool. Sure. And that doesn't get recognised. He knows all that and sees that people don't realise, and it's frustrating. And of course, he was doing things at Chelsea. Straight away, you could see it on the pitch. If you're a bit of a coach, if you're a bit of a, of a football, you know, analyst, you see what he was doing. It's like, right, they are in good shape. They are moving well. Uh, there's good, good balance. He was putting all that in, but there was all the shouting and the and the and the noise. Which didn't allow a lot of people to see what happened, and then they won things, and then everybody saw them. Mm. If he hadn't won things, the job was still the same. Mm. Job was still the same. It was an excellent job, mm. and you can see now that Jose Mourinho is struggling to get much more of the side because there's not much more to the side. And Rafa will always, always maximise the potential of what any team he's got. But there's people that uh, want to make him look like a fool, uh, and it's up to them uh, if they don't see that talent, don't recognise it, don't. Don't uh, give him the credit that he deserves. You know, he cannot please everybody, I guess. Sure. Well, look, I don't want to take much more of your time, Guillermo. If one or two more quick questions, if that's all right, we will go through them really fast. A guy who is probably, possibly, uh, Rafa's best signing, Xabi Alonso, has done spectacularly well where he is currently. The rumours will not go away about a possible return to Liverpool. It, it, yet again, yesterday, it was, it was on the go. What's the likelihood of that? What, irrespective of his suitability, what's the likelihood of him doing that? It's not coming back. It's not coming back. You, you, you'd be pretty sure about that. Yeah. Okay. And there was one. He loves Liverpool, and he because he loves Liverpool, he's got a difficult to choose his next team. Sure. So you know he cannot be Manchester United and so on. Uh, I see him as a coach, and I see him. If he becomes a coach, he will be a manager of Liverpool at some point. I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that would be a very popular, popular thing. Can I can I finish off with a question that's kind of a topical one? There are a lot of stories going around. I'd just be interested to get your take on it about the EU investigation into Real and Barca with the the, the you know in relation to state aid and um, and then there's the story about the Neymar funds and all that type of thing. Are these kind of stories damaging for La Liga or is it? Are they maybe a little bit baseless? What's your opinion on that? It's based on the fact that uh, for a long time the big clubs. The football clubs in general have depended too much on the council mm. and on government money and on government uh, leeway and blind eyes and stuff like that. But football has always been like that uh, in Spain. So, for instance, any local team uh, will have a ground that's owned by the council or will put the budget. The council will put the budget. I, I tried to buy a club uh, not so long ago, and it was all, all had to be done via the council. Uh, if politically it was right for them, if they had the budget to help us. That's how football is done in, in Spain. So, of course, from an outsider point of view, they'll see, like, uh, that's not fair. And I agree with them. Mm. It's not fair that some clubs get helped and others they don't. I mean, Barcelona has received throughout the years a lot of help because it's politically good to be close to them. Espanol, on the other hand, being in the same city, hasn't had the same kind of advantages and eventually has had to leave Barcelona to just be outside at the Prat Cornellà to uh, to have a stadium. Uh, how how you um, uh, you know how do you deal with that? Is it'd be good to see you know somebody saying okay, let's have a look, and they're gonna have a look. Is it damaging? I don't care. It has to be done. It has to be done. It has to be done. Guillaume, you're a very very good man. Thanks very much. Appreciate your time immensely. Thank you. Thank you. 
Now the exclusives don't end there. Thanks to Game, I have a hardback printer's edition copy of Messi to give away to some lucky competition winners. You'll hear more of that anon. Despite the undeniably impressive displays of recent weeks and the irrepressible form of Luis Suarez, many are perhaps understandably wary of the Stevens Day game at the Etihad Stadium. So let's begin our preview of City versus Liverpool. Keeping Chelsea in mind with a simple question. Should Liverpool be wary of their opponents or is it vice versa? Paul Brennan, what do you think? Um, I definitely think we have to be wary of them. The home form that they've shown and they're, they're basically scoring as many goals as we are. Um, I think that Allen and Henderson are absolutely key for us if we're going to get anything here to try and get on top of Torre and Fernandinho. Just like the energy that they showed against Spurs, it really, it really kept them. You know, didn't let them settle at all. S- whoops, <laughs> settle at all. Dominic the Dominic. Yeah, and so I think it's a, it's vital that we do that to City as well. Don't let them get into their flow or anything like that. So Aguero was missing for them, which is a, a big boost for us. But I still think. They're, they're a huge, huge threat and I think um, we have to do something similar to what we did at Spurs and not let them get on top of us if we're going to get anything from it. Do you think, though, to come back to the, 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 the gist of the question, do you think they're actually probably a little bit more uh, wary of us than they might have been otherwise given the, the recent form? Do you think they actually consider us a proper threat? I'd say so, definitely. I don't think anyone enjoyed us. Any of our rivals enjoyed us uh, smashing Spurs like that. Mm. And then uh, Cardiff as well. Like it was a, for, apart from that, like we said, from when we conceded the goal, there was a bit of a sloppy period. But it was a, all in all, it was a fairly good win. Mm. So I think say, they will be wary of us. And obviously Suarez, I think like I'm, you nearly back him to score any game. Mm. So like uh, I, I could see him scoring as well but I think we really do have a kind of job on keeping on top of City hmm. and I, I don't want I don't want us to sit back around and I'd, I'd like something kind of similar to what we did to Spurs hmm. with uh, Alan and Henderson kind of just just not leaving their midfield alone at all so it's going to be very much about discipline performance and hoping that uh, hoping that we can kind of uh, maybe nick one or do you see this being a lot of people are forecasting a very high scoring game or what's your thoughts on that? Um, well I'm not sure it's one of those that could really go either way if they if both teams click like so um, I'd I'd have gone I'd have thought about three at the back if we didn't have Sterling in such good form. Mm. I'd rather keep him out on the wing because the way he's playing, he's kind of like he's really involved in the build-up play. Like the the way he's moving into space, I think is very impressive at the moment. So I'd keep him in there um, and uh, in the four-three-three with the same midfield. Obviously, we have an eye on the Chelsea game, which is only a few days later. But um, I, th- I think if we unless we put. Alan and Henderson really on top of them. I think we're kind of forfeiting our chances of getting anything really. Fair play. Uh, Andy, do you think we've got um, uh, people across there in, in Manchester getting a little bit cautious and worried about us? Um, or do you think basically it's realistically, despite league position, a bit of a mismatch? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think they're too worried. They weren't worried about Arsenal. There was no sh- change in shape when Arsenal played them. Yeah. Uh, they, they'd be worried about Suarez. That's an absolute given. And I'm sure everything this week now in training has been about how to stop Suarez. Mm-hmm. After that, I don't think they'd be a single bit worried about us. Um, that's just being honest. You know, um, they're, they're two teams that are playing in such a way that, you know, we'll score more than you sort of thing. Uh, I think we can cause them lots of trouble. Like Fulham causing trouble, you know we can cause them trouble, uh, but they're going to cause us an awful lot of trouble as well. well and well, well let, let's let's s- kind of segue into the next little area then and keep you keep you talking. Then we're going to look look at City strengths and look at where we should be kind of trying to be cautious. Does it just simply come down to the fact that they're a s- scoring machine when they want it? That they're bloody scary in attack. 
Yeah, they've a busy front too. Obviously, it was Aguero and um, and Negredo before, and now it's uh, Zeko and uh, Negredo. So, and they played a far two 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 kind of thing, you know. And they've Nasri and uh, Silva coming in off the flanks. So I think it's an absolute certainty we're going to see three Liverpool centre backs, and not so much. Flanagan and Johnson playing as uh, wing backs, but just uh, just busying themselves with the trek coming forward for their full backs, Clichy and uh, Kolarov. Co- that's it, yeah. They'd be busy enough with them, and then you'll have Silva and Nasri coming in off the flanks. So the extra centre half will help because you know they're playing two up front, and then Lucas and Alan, you know, just to try and look after what's coming into the middle because they will have an extra man. Drop it in, drop it into the box with all their chances. They're just they're coming forward in waves and waves of attacks, mm-hmm. and I think it could be backs against the wall still for Liverpool. But you just know you have that man Suarez up top that's going to do something, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, because we're playing, because I think we play an extra centre back, you're going to have to sacrifice either Coutinho and Sterling. I'm not sure who's who 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 will be, you know, kind of. I'll, pro- I'll probably probably think it'd be Coutinho that might drop to the bench mm. you know since the Sterling's playing well mm. Floody three at the back what's your, your take on that? Uh, no I think we'll stick with the four I think we'll stick with the same shape we've we've had the last couple of games um, I'd be kind of forced them to say let's go to City let's put five across the middle and go over a point um, but I don't see why here I really don't I listen if, if we lose the game we lose the game that we're still not a million miles away from them mm. win the game we put a gap in there Uh the Aropi at the back at the moment, like company on his day is is the best around. But he looks pretty rocky at the moment. He really does. Um, with Zabaleta, who I think is probably one of our best oh, defenders, he uh, he's, he's excellent. Um, and you'd be worried about him attacking more so than defending. Like he, he can cause a lot of problems down the right. Uh, with him out of team, like, I'd say go with the tree, go with the Coutinho, go with the Suarez, go with the and get on the front foot. I think if we go with the tree at the back. We'll end up what we did at Hull, and that Suarez disjointed from the rest of the team and there's a big gap appearing between midfield and Suarez and we're not up behind the ball quick enough which they could get the three in the middle and go man for man with their three and then let the two fullbacks deal with Silva and Najri when they took in um, I say let's just go for this game I really do and I'd be kind of one that would normally say Phil it'd be great I'm just going for a point here and let's be happy to get out of our point but I think we can win this you know, it is, it's how you perceive the next run of games isn't it you know what what kind of points though you're going to be content with and that's I suppose a separate issue but we, maybe we, you can take it along here Phil yourself if you want to, if you want to refer to it um, how do you see the back lining up uh, to to come to sort of deal with City? And just just taking it back to the City thing, right? I think their biggest weakness is Di Michaelis in terms of how he defends. Um, and if Pellegrini has them set up to play a relatively high line, which they generally do, and that's where companies most comfortable doing, especially when they're pushing their fullbacks on either side, then. You, you play Coutinho and you play Sterling and you play Suarez and the same way we went there last year you're effective on your counter-attack and you can get in behind them and if we can get in behind them as we've shown with, with Cardiff and, and, and Sterling's goal how quickly we countered and, and how devastatingly we could be countering and we've done it the previous week as well there's goals there to be had now my biggest issue in terms of how we set up is that knowing Pellegrini and seeing the way he he worked at Malaga and also when he was at Real Madrid he's not afraid to go with wide players so he would he he may well start with Navas and look to really overload our full backs whether we're playing three or, 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 or four there and really say get the likes of Johnson have Jacko and Negredo in the centre and whip those crosses in and identify as, as we known as we said here last week 
Johnson is a weakness when it comes to conceding crosses and Jacko and Negredo are fantastic players in the air. Now if I was Pellegrini and I was looking at how we set up, I'd be saying, right, get Navas out there, get Silva, get, overload that area of the pitch as much as possible and get as many crosses into the box, especially with the way we've been talking about Skirtle manhandling players in the box, that even if you don't get a free header on it, the ref's going to be looking at what Skirtle's doing and we may get penalties out of it. And that's where I'd be identifying our weakest point in the actual defensive structure of our team actually is at this moment in time. Um, how do we set up defensively? I, I, I'd be loath to go back to three at the back uh, if, just to get Agar back in the team. If we're going to put Agar back in the team, I'd just take Skirt low for this game, put Agar in. Straight away, that takes away the sort of referee's eyes on um, the, the centre-back position. There is an issue that Sacco and Skirt are starting to form a partnership now. Do you break the partnership up and we're back to a position that we're in the start of the season? But I just think he's brought a bit of focus on himself and he can avoid this focus and potentially avoid a penalty which the referee may see as an easy penalty to give if he sees a bit of manhandling in the box for this game. And as the lad said, it's 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 a it's a free game, it's a free win. Where we're going to it, nobody expects us to win. They expect that we have a chance of winning the match, but they would, you, nobody will be saying that this isn't a way banker for Liverpool, whereas they would have said it was a home banker against Cardiff. Um, and we've got every, every chance of winning this game if we play it right. I'd even consider for this game and despite his form when he came on, I'd be looking at removing Johnson from from the defence for this game as well because I don't think we can I don't think we can allow ourselves to be exposed in the fullback position when they have players of the quality of Silva, Navas, um, there to to deliver quality balls and Nasri as well because he can operate in, in wide positions as he as he did with Arsenal. So I just think I think we I think we expose ourselves there um, and we give them a position to attack us from and score goals against because we know that we've been weak. Early when it's come to conceding goals all season, mm. Paul. Uh, where do you where do you think we we're going to go with this uh, three to back? And if so, what would the personnel be? Um, well, I'm I'm not sure. I wouldn't I wouldn't go three at the back myself. I'd I'd probably go with what Phil with what Phil said about uh, maybe just dropping Skirtle and putting mm. Agar in with Sacco. Because mm. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? He can just play as bad as Skirtle is, <laughs> really scoring own goals and trying to give away a penalty. So <laughs> we really um, don't want to go down that road, do we? <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, because I I know it's not really a game where you kind of say, oh, let's try something new, but. Like like Phil says, Skirtle's just been so shaky looking, and he he just looks like he's trying to give penalties away. Mm. So sometimes I think he plays like he like he's a fucking trailer attached to him as well. The way <laughs> the way he turns after the ball, and I'll just yeah, um, I'm not too comfortable with him, I, I, especially if they're looking to get crosses in. Yeah. I think he's really nervous. That, but then again, that's kind of one of Agger's kind of weak links as well. Oh, Paul, do you buy into this? Uh, what Phil's chatting about there? I've heard it said many, many times. It's almost like a free game. I mean. Uh, isn't our psychology very, 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 very shaky in that if we do get a good tanking, the heads are going to go right the fuck down again and it could yeah. really, it could be a terrible setback. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah, I, I don't think we're the, like, we, we have a lot of resilience but I don't think we're the mentally, like, the strongest mm. team. Like, as, you, as we said earlier, when we can see the goal, there seems to be a kind of panic. No matter how well we've been playing, mm. it's panic stations for 10 minutes, like, mm. like against West Ham when we conceded and against Cardiff where we were on top of those games yeah. and like, like I just tweeted I think just before Cardiff scored that we'd been like we were relentless we weren't giving the mental and then we give away that goal mm. and like it just we just seemed to kind of collapse nearly mm. so there's there's a lesson there Paul sorry there's a lesson there in terms of your yeah, yeah. You know, I've been told that before <laughs> actually yeah. not only that, so we've got you on Twitter we've got this lad in the pub we're in trouble <laughs> here with jinxes, me, me basically anywhere near the football <laughs> match although, although it's starting to get busted so that's good that's good yeah but it, it, 
it is sort of one where you, you haven't budgeted for getting three points from it, so you could mm. kind of go all out and say, if we win, then it's great. I, d- I just think that the Chelsea game after it, that's a horrible placement for it, because so, it means that if we really go for it at City, like, it, it kind of leave us drained going to Chelsea, and that che- that Chelsea game is one that I think we can win. Mm. I, th- I, think that I, I don't think Chelsea want to play us at all, mm. whereas City, I think, will fancy their chances against us. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, well, I suppose... That leads us straight on to where we think this is going to wrap up there and how it's going to how, how, how we're going to get on. So, Andy, how do you see the game going in terms of uh, prediction or uh, match prediction? Yeah, uh, just I think a draw, and I'd be, I'd be delighted with that. Um, that's that's me being as positive as possible there with that, and then uh, that would set us up lovely going into the Chelsea game. Mm. You know, we got a draw because there is points to be taken from Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. So uh, there's a real belief about that, Andy, isn't there? That, yeah. that, that Chelsea are get out of it. Is that could that ah, like, kind of? I mean, not, let's not play them down there. Go team, like you know. And point, I think yeah. they could hurt us as well with set pieces, like you know, uh, the physical thing, you know, in, in the box, ugh, like you. Could go horribly wrong. I really could, mm. but um, no. I think I think we can play them uh, and play them off the park in Stamford Bridge. You know the way the way they horn up against we did against Spurs. Mm. Like I think we can, but I just don't think it's, that Liverpool are capable of doing that to City. So you'd be hoping for a draw against City to set us up for that. I think one. if we drew against City, I'd be I'd be very happy and going into that uh, that next game. You know, and don't forget all them teams have to come to Liverpool the second half. Very of the season. good point. Very good point, Floody. Um, I definitely think just with City's record at home that I don't see a win for us anyway. Um, definitely both teams to score on the day. Um, I can see a scoring there. Uh, if we are kind of going to get anything out of the game, um, it, it, it's it's going to be very very tight for us. I think, and if we are going to get anything out of the game. It's going to be just too worse. Uh, a moment of brilliance. I'm hoping, fingers crossed. I've, I've wrote to Santi and asked him for three points. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mightn't get them, but let, let's just hope. Uh, but it's going to be. I can see a draw in the game. Uh, but it depends how Rogers approaches the game. If he goes with a negative feeling in the game and goes for the point, yeah. I don't think we'll come away with that. And I okay. think if he goes looking for the three points, we might come away with something. Okay, uh, Paul. Um, it's all going to be about our defence in that fax. <laughs> um, basically, well, yeah, I, I'd go. <laughs> I'd Sorry, my, my prediction. <laughs> that one up for me. I'd go uh, two all. I'd go for the score, and I think that's fairly optimistic because I don't think we'll concede. I think they've too much quality, especially with kind of we do look shaky at set pieces. They, they've a lot of power. City went um, from there so I do think we'll concede so I'll be optimistic and say that we'll score two as well Excellent. and I'll go two all two all I'd take a score draw as well Phil well I didn't put my prediction in last week because I said it would be a, a, a tight win for us but do you know what a bit like Spurs I fancy us to bash City on um, Stevens' day don't, <laughs> don't know why don't know why it's, it's, I have the exact same feeling about this it could be the amount of alcohol I've had over the last four days but I'm definitely days was a four yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, I, I definitely 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 think we're, we're running out with the, with the three points against City Chelsea however I think we're going to get beaten by so it sort of levels itself out in terms of looking at it I am actually I think coming into these games I think to be if we can get a draw against City, if, if we can avoid defeat in the two, it would be disappointing because I'd rather win one and lose the other. Mm. I was just going to ask yeah. that. Would you rather two draws? I know it's only two points or, or, or one loss and a win. You know? Yeah, I think it's a bit, it's a bit performance level. I mean, like you're putting it, it, if you stay unbeaten in both them, it's a statement. Yeah. You know? yeah, absolutely. And if you play relatively well and don't yeah. look yeah. shaky at the at, back. At the expense of one point. Like, you know? but I, th- I just think the, 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 a bigger statement here 
will be to like, and, and like Arsenal are playing Chelsea tonight, so we don't know what the what the outcome of that game is. But and we don't have a television here, so we don't know. We really don't know what's going on. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> who, who's got live scores at this stage? <laughs> yeah, we've no coverage in the bunker here. <laughs> but no, I, I just think if we could beat City, given that everyone's going on about City being invincible at home, right? And um, Chelsea not looking as strong as as they are. I, I I just think it's a bigger statement win to beat. City than it would be necessarily to beat Chelsea. So we we were in the same position here. It was it two seasons ago? I think with Arsenal and City back to back in both games. Yeah. We played brilliant in both games and fucking drew fucking, both games. Yeah. So winning positions. Yeah, yeah. Last season was it last season, yeah. yeah. And it was just I was so down the dumps after I fucking text you and I was yeah. going ballistic. Saying, yeah, people saw that as a setback rather than a positive. Setback, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just saying, take take a win in one of the games. Take win. Yeah. If you, if if you had gone in to the Christmas period in this run of games until we get to post the Chelsea game, right? Mm-hmm. And we said of all the games. So you're going after Hull and you go right the way through and you only lose one game from those seven, right? Mm-hmm. Would you take that? Would you take 18 from 21 points? Everyone's taken No, I, I know. You, you would have yeah. possibly even taken 15 from 21 mm-hmm. points in terms of the teams that we had to face and where we had mm-hmm. to go to yeah. face them. So that's what I'm saying. We take City... If we, when, sorry. When we take City on, on, on Stephen's Day, right? <laughs> <laughs> when we take City... I, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling... Maybe four or five nil, right? Yeah. One, five one. Okay. Um, there'll be a skirt long goal, like win off his hoop, and <laughs> I, I, I definitely, I definitely think that's a statement of intent, right? I think it's a bigger statement of intent than necessarily going to Chelsea with the history there. That's with Mourinho and the whole lot, and I think the type of season it's been, it's, it's likely that Torres is going to score against us in this game as well. So I don't know. I just think it will be a bigger statement to beat City than it would necessarily to beat Chelsea. Now, if we don't win against City, then. The fucking jinx is back. Well, it did. I think they're they're two huge games, obviously. Uh, um, like we've been maintaining this two point average per game quite nicely, you know, which gets you Champions League football. And I mean, anyone would have taken that from Golden Seven to Fourth. Um, but you know, you do something against these two teams, you know, and go unbeaten. All of a sudden, the perspective does change, and you start thinking, are we champion yeah. contenders here? Yeah. You know, so at the moment, you're you're looking at two points per game, Champions League, lovely. You do something against these two teams uh, going into halfway point of the season and you're thinking, hang on a minute. But let's be fair about this. We are in a title race at this moment in time and even if we lose the next two games, we are still in a title race coming out the back end of those two games. And the players have to have to really believe this because if they don't believe it at any stage and let the heads go, then suddenly your title race becomes a top four chase and we are chasing the title here. And fuck it, we are. We're back in this. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, this is actually really, really scary stuff. I hope, you, I hope you're not crying into me face on, uh, on the start of the next podcast. Right, uh, it's time once again for our seven... I'm from back in the Time once again for the section of the show in which we check under the bonnet of our luxury saloon, which is our listenership, only to discover that it needs a service quite regularly. So it's your listeners' questions. We'll start with one from my mate Neb, and he asks, Does Christmas make you feel jolly? Or do all the people buzzing around just make you want to chuck a tantrum? And you've got personal experience of that today, because I know I do. Yeah, yeah, a fucking falling down moment. I was in the queue, about 400 queues, right? And the fuckers are moving slowly. And the, do you know, it's, it's, it's the old ones that are at the counter set, doing the gift vouchers. How long does it take to do a gift voucher? Almost down, wrapping it up. And all. I just want the poxy card. I'll go and wrap it up, because I'm going to wrap it up anyway when I go home. Seriously, you should be allowed one queue a day where you can kick seven bells of shit out of everyone that's in the queue and, not, and doing stupid things in the queue. And then you can walk away happy and feel glad walking around. I could deal with it then. And I'm fucking arseholes driving stupidly in car parks the wrong way in the whole lot. 
Honestly, I've... <laughs> His brain just broke there, actually live on air. <laughs> uh, Neb, I think that answers your question absolutely perfectly. Uh, next one's from uh, Kev. That's at Kevin Boyle too, and he asked a very deep philosophical question. Actually, a question about probability. We all know the story about toast, and we all know the story about cats. So what happens if you strap buttered toast to the back of your cat and then you drop the cat and toast in the whole lot a few feet. Floody, have you got a theory on this? Yeah, the DSPCA. <laughs> <laughs> Come knocking around your gaff and lock you up for being a fucking weirdo. <laughs> Oh, fucking brilliant back in there. Okay, uh, this is from. Uh, I think it blows up before it hits the ground. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> oh, magic. Uh, right, this is from Grey. He's at Red Forever 71. Um, Paul, pick one person to put in the bin. Uh, any football related person to put in the bin. Who is it? Rio Ferdinand. <laughs> Rio Ferdinand. <laughs> Explain, Paul. Do I really need to? <laughs> Go Abs- on. Absolutely fucking everything I built. That, that five. Hang on, hang on. Like the, the five cap range, the, the, the kind of hard man image, that murked thing. What was it before when the oh, World Cup was yeah. or something? Get in the fucking bin. <laughs> It's the Christmas bin. Get in the Christmas bin. Oh yeah, can I throw one in there? Please do. Because it's a really recent one. Uh, Who's got on my skin? Uh, Pat Nevin. Oh, oh, (laughs) oh, right. Uh, I've been tweeting uh, and uh, writing uh, emails to um, News Talk there recently just to to get rid of him. Calling for his head. Oh yeah, <laughs> because I think he drives people away. Like the fella makes uh, no effort to be un- to be understandable. <laughs> Fucking hell! Right. Uh, <clears throat> next one's from Harry. He's at H underscore Chambers, nineteen seventy three. He asks, uh, apart from United and Everton, and this is presuming it's United and Everton for you. Which team in the league do you hate the most? Oh, Floody's making moves towards the mic here. <laughs> Fucking sports! I swear to God, like, I, like you can kind of take the banter off Everton fans because they won a bit in their time and kind of local rivals. You know, it kind of get me nerves, but like, they've won shitloads in the last one. Sports have won fuck all, like, and they give us abuse and these like Liverpool fans and these like everybody else. What have he's won? He's had sixteen managers in two months or something like that. It's ah, oh, they just get me nerves. Sports for you, yeah, like. sports for me. Yeah. Phil, any team you wanna you wanna mention there? It's fucking loads of them. Yeah. Um, Fulham. I actually hate Fulham. I won't lie to you, right? I, I, I hate them. They, they're, they're a nothing club. They, they, they existed to be nothing. They're just mid-table. They're happy to be mid-table, right? And that shite... Now, you'll enjoy this part, actually. That shite with fucking Hodgson as well, right? If if if, if those fuckers hadn't won the Fair Play Award that year, Hodgson would never have been in the Europa League. He would never have got the Europa Cup final. And he would never have got the Liverpool manager's job, right? And it's all because of, it's all because of Fulham that Hodgson became the Liverpool manager. So if you want to get a bin, and you want to bring a fucking bin, and bring it over to Craven Cottage get Michael Jackson get fucking Hudson get Mohammed Al-Fayed get Fulham and fuck it in the bin <laughs> Phil there coming back to life very nicely this is from El Scouts and he asks a very tactical question Christmas tactical question how many Brussels sprouts can you fit in your mouth while singing you'll never walk alone obviously you've tried this Phil so what's the, what's the story there I read uh, it's eight it's eight <laughs> beautiful <Jesus Christ. laughs> Uh, 
Two of our regular question contributors, Darren Pritchard, uh, Jim Fishlock, they ask a similar question, so we'll merge it to them. If you could have one Liverpool-related person over for Christmas dinner with your family, and that's the important part here, it's Christmas dinner with your family, who would it be? Andy? <laughs> I don't say the question. Yeah, probably yeah, best yeah. if they're alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared of shit out of your granny. I've been like a man waiting for the brain transfer. Did you see that on Twitter today? I'm going to say Pat, Pat Nevin. <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll give him his last meal. <laughs> right, at least we can leave that bit in there. <laughs> Paul, who would you have over? Um, probably Suarez. He just looks kind of nice, like, you know, when he's off the pitch, like when he's not fucking chewing people and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he, lo- he looks kind of sound enough. Mm. Like Bring a box of Corona as well. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> trolley, a trolley yeah. of Corona. Yeah, yeah, let's be fair. Okay, right. Uh, next one up is from... Uh, Irish Scouse with a season another seasonal query uh, asks why was Rudolph's nose so bright <laughs> I was suspicion that he was out with you drinking for four days <laughs> that's my take on it have you got a Rudolph theories here now uh, Rudolph's drunk high, high, high blood pressure high blood pressure <laughs> yeah, well it's not easy being out the front there he was hooked up to the sleigh battery <laughs> Next one's from Carl. Carl asks, Santa has a spare bag of coal following Luis Suarez's post-biting rehabilitation. So which squad member needs to get that bag of coal in the hope that they might actually improve as well? So I think what Carl is driving at there is uh, who needs a little bit of, uh, of, of, of uh, uh, slap on the wrist at Christmas time. I'm going to say Martin Skirtle, but uh, I'd be curious to hear what other people think. Johnson easily. Johnson, Johnson yeah. yeah. Floody Johnson, Johnson for you yeah. as well. Jesus, oh, machine you know, has Phil only takes on this. Fucking Victor Moses, lads. He's still in the squad. Yeah. yeah. That pass against West Ham. Well, you, yeah. you, you see... Oh, God. You see, you say pass. Yeah. You, 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 you use the word pass very loosely there. Uh, Gray's back with another one. Straightforward one. Uh, echoes a recent query we had about, I think it was Oasis and Blur. This one, a bit more meat behind this one. Beatles or Stones? You just want one word answer. If you feel the need to go on, please do. Paul, Beatles or Stones? Um, probably Beatles. Beatles. Andy? Beatles. Uh, Floody? Beatles. Phil? The Stones. Me too. Me too, just to be different <laughs> as well. Who knows what's going to happen there. This one's from at Craigard Painting. Another topical LFC question. We've kind of touched on this as well, but it's a simple yes or no answer. It's a bit gory, this one. Do we need to saw off Skirtle's arms to stop him from manhandling players in the box ahead of this game? Well, you could just kind of put the bin on him, <laughs> <But that's laughs> his so he can still run around like but and use his head. Probably yeah. jump as well, yeah. He probably read the game better from the bin as well. <laughs> just, I love the idea of him being in the bin for the whole game. Perfect. Or even a cardboard box, you know, yeah. like you know, like where he had to, couldn't get his arms down by his side, so he can't get them around. So he started just running around like this. I oh, yeah. yeah, can't snake. really see that on a podcast. That was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, last one. This is from Calf. He's at LFC underscore Calf. He asks, after Flannel's excitement at his first Liverpool goal, <laughs> he celebrated with a dominoes, apparently. I did not notice. How would you celebrate scoring for Liverpool? This is going round the table. How would you celebrate scoring a goal for Liverpool, Phil Casey? I'd just go off on, on the lash for about four weeks. 
So, just what you've been doing for the last few days then. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. But I'll, I'll be younger, so I could do it for longer. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, bloody. Uh, probably, I'd, I'd literally probably just hang the boots up and go in, put them in the dressing room, take me off. It's not going to get better than that, is it? Like, that's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not going to get better than that. Take me off, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Andy, celebration. Yeah, I think uh, when, when Flanagan scored, um, most Liverpool fans looked at that him running over to the crowd with, with certain amount of envious you know <laughs> just thinking holy shit can you imagine yeah, can you yeah, just imagine yeah, yeah. you know so yeah you couldn't predict what you do anything yeah. you could be able to do anything well that's it I mean actually the question is driving at what you, what you do afterwards but I think I think I, I like the idea of what you do actually on the pitch like, so what, yeah. what's your thought oh, you, you, you could, probably you just could end up in your nip easily like you know <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't know yeah, you, could end up in your, you can end up just running straight out of the stadium like you know <laughs> Onto the road in your nip, <laughs> yeah, but it's just as well. Fellow didn't away. do that, yeah. in fairness. I know, uh, yeah, they took some of yeah. <laughs> do you know what? If he wasn't that excited, he's got a fucking other career back then. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't have got through the turnstile sideways, anyway. <laughs> the pole over there, <laughs> right? Then, right? Then, let's uh, let's finish up with uh, a few little bits of admin. Uh, thanks as always got the lovely folk here at Astro Park they've finally saved us from our itinerant ways and provide us uh, with a little base for uh, our day tripping needs uh, this is Dublin's five, finest five-a-side venue it's a marvellous facility you can check them all out at astro, www.astropark.ie I've been asked to mention a few things as well there are the Astro Park League starting up and five-a-side leagues there are two different divisions you've got experience and club standard teams and you've got social and company standard teams they are one hour games <coughs> weekly uh, eight to ten week leagues and you can find out more about those leagues at www.astropark.ie and also just to mention the opening hours for uh, the facility here over Christmas they're open Friday the 27th open Saturday the 28th open Sunday the 29th open Monday the 30th they're open basically okay uh, don't forget to get your tickets for the Anatomy of Liverpool Night with Jonathan Wilson on January the 12th we've got two tickets to give away so keep your eye on the at Liverpool Ways account to find out how to win tickets are available at www.eventbrite.com Dot com. So get on that, it'll be a belter of a night. We'll be there. Uh, so you can take out your frustrations on us if you want to. <laughs> well, actually, I'll stand by in case you can punch him all you like. As mentioned earlier, off the back of my interview with Guillaume Balagate, we have a signed hardback printer's edition copy of his latest, Messi, um, which we will be giving away after a City match. Again, keep an eye on the Liverpool Ways account for your chance to win there. And finally, don't forget, five times are bringing Didi and Cara over to Ireland in February. Should be a better of a night. We'll have tickets to give away for that too. And we'll be launching a competition in the middle of January. Your day trippers tonight were Phil Casey, Damien Flood, Andy Young, Paul Brennan and myself, Trev Downey. We'll see you again. Christmas is my two front teeth. My two front teeth. 
Simplify your federal agency's technology procurement with Connection Public Sector Solutions. Connection's dedicated account managers, commitment to exceptional customer service, and extensive catalog of federal contracts make IT purchases quick, easy, and affordable. Turn your challenges into opportunities and get rid of your technology pain points with Connection today. Learn more about what's possible with Connection Public Sector Solutions at connection.com slash fedcontracts. Time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. (laughs) You love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Sports Social Podcast Network.